listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture for today is Acts 3, verses 11 to 26. It can be found on page 887 of your pew Bibles, or up on the screen. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in in the portion called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made his man, this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith is through Jesus, has given him the perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all of the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is, Jesus, who must remain the heaven, in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever He tells you, and it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. And all all the prophets, as many as have spoken, from Samuel and those after him, also predicted these days, you are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, 
and in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Tiffany, for that reading. So good morning again, everyone. So I got to start off with a Zeke anecdote this morning. Um, my son is six years old, um, and, and yesterday uh, we, were, we were chatting together, and he told me, uh, he said, Dad, I would rather be dead than be a pastor. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I was like, that's that's kind of harsh, buddy. Like, what, what what's going on? And he said, Well, you get to talk about God, but when you're dead, you get to hang out with God every day, which is a good reminder of that line from Ash Wednesday. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, although I think he might be trying to kill me. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, anyway, um, how's your Lenten season? Uh, off to a good start so far. I hope for people going well. Yeah. Weird question to ask in a room full of Baptists who don't usually talk about Lent. Um, we, had, we had a really nice time at our Ash Wednesday labyrinth this past week. Decent turnout, too, considering it was Valentine's Day. What better way to spend Valentine's Day than having dirt rubbed on your face and being told you're going to die? Um, I also I want to promote our Lenten small groups uh, one more time. We've got two groups that are running through Lent for the next six weeks. One uh, meets Wednesdays at noon, the other is Thursdays at 6 p.m. You can come to either group, they cover the same stuff. Um, and we are reading Luke's Gospel out loud together. Uh, and I gotta tell you, it's a very different experience hearing the Gospel story read out loud at length. It was, it was really fun, believe it or not, um, last week. Uh, we had some great conversation as well. It's not too late to join one of these groups. If you'd like to be part of it, again, Wednesdays at noon or Thursdays at six, come on out. Uh, we would love to have you there. Let's talk about our scripture reading for today. Uh, we're picking up right where we left off last week. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at the story where Peter and John heal a man who's sitting by the, the gate of the temple. Uh, it's a man who was born unable to walk. And he sits day after day by the entrance to the temple begging for alms. We talked last week about seeing and being seen. Um, how a person born unable to walk would never have been allowed to enter the temple. If you couldn't walk, back then you were considered ceremonially unclean. And so this man, this child of Israel begging by the gate of the temple has never himself been allowed to pass through that temple. But as we discussed last week, Peter and John see this man. They recognize that the problem isn't that he can't walk. The problem is that there's a barrier standing between him and his God. So Peter removes the barrier and heals the man. His legs are suddenly made strong. He stands to his feet. And then the man goes walking with the disciples into the temple for the very first time leaping and praising God. Do we all remember that story from last week? Caught up? Okay, excellent. This reading picks up right after that. Like, it's the very next scene. Peter and John are still in the temple with the healed man clinging to them. The crowd is amazed, confused, and probably a little freaked out seeing this guy in the temple all of a sudden. Um, this guy wasn't even allowed in the temple before, and now he's 
here and he's walking. They probably don't know what to make of that. So Peter steps up and he starts to preach like you do. <laughs> uh, if, you're ever, if you're ever in a confusing situation, just start preaching. Uh, it totally, totally makes sense. <clears throat> but this is from uh, Peter's sermon, uh, Acts 3, starting in verse 12. Fellow Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made this guy walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. It's relatable. In this way, God fulfilled what he had told, uh, foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. What a perfect reading for Lent, you guys. It's almost, it's almost like I planned this. Um, you, you've got the whole Easter story laid out there, though, right? Peter's recapping all of it. Jesus being rejected by his own people, handed over to Pilate, crucified, only to be raised back to life. Peter's message to the people can be summed up in one word. Repent. Repent from your old ways. Turn from the path that leads to death and destruction and put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in this guy you rejected who has now healed this man. This is the season of Lent. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, it's a season of preparation leading up to Holy Week and Easter, and Lent is a season of repentance. It's a time to turn from anything that is still standing in the way, preventing us from connecting with God, relating to Jesus. It's an opportunity to repent of that so that we can receive life. Repent. If I'm honest, though, uh, I think the word repent has lost a bit of its power, right? It doesn't quite mean the same thing today. It's lost some of its flair. It's a really dated word. Uh, it's a word we don't use much anymore. And when we do, it's usually in a negative kind of way. When I hear the word repent, I think of this guy with the sign. Um, <laughs> has, has anyone seen this, this guy around the village? Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's all over the place. Um, his name is Frank. I've talked to him a couple times. He's actually uh, a pretty nice guy, despite what the signs kind of imply. Um, but when I hear the word repent, my mind goes to Frank. And all the folks who stand out there on the street corners with the signs telling people they're going to hell, right? Uh, I also think of billboards like these. Um, <laughs> to anyone, man, to anyone who's listening to the audio, you're missing it today. Um, let me describe this. We're looking at a billboard with a very white Jesus. <laughs> and he's saying, for me or against me, if you're against me, there's hell to pay. And, of course, there's a reference to a Bible passage that doesn't say that. <clears throat> I got to wonder what the success rate is on these billboards, you know? Like, like, of all the thousands of people who pass this every day, I wonder how many are like, you know what? I should change religions today. Um, he gets us. There you go. Oh, gosh. This is what a lot of us think of when we hear the word repent. Billboards. Folks on the corner with a sign. It usually has something to do with conversion. 
uh, a sales pitch. Which is really interesting because when Peter addresses the crowd in the temple, he doesn't use a lot of conversion language. Um, He doesn't have a new religion that he's trying to sell them. Peter is a Jewish guy talking to other Jewish people in their holy place, in their place of worship, the temple. And he's telling them to repent. He's an insider talking to other religious insiders, telling them they need to repent, they need to turn. That is different from how most of us talk and think about repentance. I think a lot of churches tend to operate in one of two extremes when it comes to repenting. Um, On the one hand, you've got your shame-based churches, fear-based religion, hellfire and brimstone. I'm thinking about the churches that overemphasize repentance. It's the kind of religion where you are always repenting, never good enough, never righteous enough, never quite sure if you have enough faith, if you're good with God or not. That's one extreme. I think the other extreme is your conversion-based churches. It's a form of Christianity where we replace actual repentance with a one-time conversion event experience. It's like, repent? I did that once. Back when I became a Christian, it was like like 30, 40 years ago. I was at camp. It was great. I said a prayer. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, confessed my sin. That was was my repenting. I've I've covered that, one one and done. When we replace repentance with conversion, you end up with this form of Christianity that doesn't really provoke much change. We're not growing, uh, we're not being discipled, we're not really getting closer to God or being challenged in any discernible way. We just said a prayer one time, and now we we check a different box on the census, right? It's a Christian. I feel like between these two extremes of shame-based, fear-based Christianity and the conversion-based Christianity, I feel like there's got to be a third way. And I think that third way has to do with how we understand repentance. The word being translated repent here uh, literally means to turn. That's why you'll kind of hear me using repent and turn interchangeably. Um, The Greek word is metanoia, but it's a translation of a a Hebrew word, teshuva. Let me hear you all say teshuva. Excellent pronunciation. Um, Teshuva means to turn. When you're going one direction, and then you turn to go another, you teshuva, repent. It can also be used uh, when you turn your head to look at something. Maybe, uh, maybe there's some hidden aspect of your life, uh, some darkness, some challenge, some issue you've been avoiding, and now you, you turn your head, you teshuva, to actually look at it so you can address it. That's repenting. That's repent, where it comes from. It's not a fear-based thing where you are always on thin ice, tiptoeing around with God, um, never quite good enough. It's also not a one-time thing, like conversion. Repentance, turning, is a practice. It's something we do over and over again, getting better at it over time, until it becomes like second nature. The Christian walk, our journey of discipleship with God, depends on the practice of repenting. We are always discerning the areas of our life where we are out of sync with God, where we need to grow closer to Christ. 
where we need to turn and go in a new direction. That's teshuva. Peter's sermon is helpful uh, because he gets at what we're turning away from and what we're turning toward. Kind of got both of those elements in here. Um, in short, Peter's invitation is to turn away from death and to turn toward life. Turn away from violence, destruction, chaos, the, the forces that put Jesus on the cross, and turn to embrace the salvation Jesus offers. That's Peter's sermon in a nutshell. And again, Peter's talking to the religious people here, okay? He's talking to fellow Israelites. He says, you killed the author of life, which is ironic. James sees the irony. You've been asking for life. You've been asking for salvation, and when God sent you a deliverer, you killed him. You handed Jesus over to your enemies and said, here, take care of this guy for us. Turn from that path that leads to death and embrace life. We've got a note as well, this is really important, that this is a passage that has been interpreted very anti-Semitically over the years. Uh, Christians in the past, and probably still today, uh, have used this passage to blame our Jewish siblings for Jesus' death uh, and to justify our own anti-Semitic violence. We've used this passage where Peter is telling a bunch of religious folks to turn from the way of violence, to justify our own violence. Do you see the irony there? This need for repentance, this need to turn from the way of death and head towards Jesus' offer of life, it is not a problem for one specific, problem, uh, one specific people. This is not an Israelite problem. It's not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. We all do this. This is the problem of, Christ, of Christians who will oppress Jewish people in the name of a Jewish Messiah. It's the problem of a nation of immigrants that decides to no longer open its door to immigrants, make it harder to get in. Or imagine someone born into poverty who, like, actually works their way up. They climb the corporate ladder and they're actually successful. They, they become a, a titan of industry only to turn around and oppress the poor folks who work for them. Or imagine someone who goes to church on a Sunday singing praises to the God who laid down his life for his enemies only to go out from church and strap on a gun to defend ourselves from our enemies. God sent you the author of life, and you killed him. Stop choosing death. Teshuva. Repent. We tracking with this so far? Okay. Good, good, good. We need to repent from all the ways we are still entrenched in death so that we can follow Jesus into life. The season of Lent, as I understand it, is an opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity to put this into practice. We have a 40-day period every year where we are invited to examine our lives, take a critical look at our hearts, where we're at in our walk with Jesus, and determine places we need to change. Uh, in our newsletter last Wednesday, we included an excellent video from uh, New Testament scholar Esau McCulley. 
Uh, used to teach at Northeastern Seminary, not far from us, where, where James is a student. Um, and Esau, in that video, talks about the Christian life. He talks about how this life with Jesus is not always smooth sailing. Right? It's, not, it's not up and to the right, so to speak, where we're always getting better and better, drawing closer and closer to God, growing more holy as time goes on. That's not how discipleship works. The Christian life is a journey of peaks and valleys. You have mountaintop experiences and dark nights of the soul. It's not always smooth sailing. There are times when we're growing in our faith and we feel like we're drawing closer and closer to God. And then there are times when like us and God aren't even on speaking terms. That's what discipleship looks like. That's actually normal. On uh, Ash Wednesday this past week, in addition to doing the ashes, uh, we had our labyrinth open. Uh, I got a picture of uh, some of the kids on the labyrinth. Let's hear it. Aww, there you go. You could have awed better than that. Um, <laughs> but we have this huge prayer labyrinth here at church. Um, as you can see, it fills the whole fellowship hall out there. Um, and this is a picture of, of some of our kids from this past Wednesday walking the labyrinth together. And on the next slide, I've actually got the design of our labyrinth, kind of an aerial view of what our labyrinth actually looks like. Uh, the way I was originally taught to walk a prayer labyrinth years and years ago was that you imagine God at the center of the labyrinth. And then our lives are kind of like this path. They wind in and out. Sometimes we're moving closer to God, sometimes we're moving farther away. Sometimes we double back. Sometimes we get lost. When I walk the labyrinth, uh, I take time to follow that path, moving closer to the center, and then away from the center, and then closer, and then away. By the time I arrive at the center of the labyrinth, I have a better sense of where I'm at in my walk with God. Every time. Never fails. Lent is a season to be doing that kind of reflection together. To be doing that kind of honest assessment of where we're at with Jesus, where we need to repent, where we need to turn and go another way. We practice repentance during Lent so that we don't have to live in that constant state of anxiety all year long, that fear of never knowing if we're on the right path, that kind of shame-based religion. This is our season to practice repentance because we want more than a passive one-time salvation. We want to grow. We want to change. We want to become closer to God, more like Jesus. My invitation to you is to take the next 40 days to do some reflection. Do some repentance work. Find a new prayer practice. Create space in your life for you to sit, talk to God, and listen. Maybe you set a timer every day for 15 minutes or an alarm to remind you, oh, it's time to stop what I'm doing and pray. Find that space. If you're fasting from something, uh, whether it's, you know, what do people fast from? Chocolate, meat, caffeine. What did you say? Peanut butter? Don't fast from peanut, my gosh. Um, <laughs> unless you're allergic, then yeah. Um, but maybe you choose a fast. And when you crave those things, you let that hunger draw you to God, remind you of your hunger for God. You could join us in one of these Lenten groups as we hear the gospel story read out loud. 
It's not too late to try out any of these things over the next 40 days. Uh, I'm going to put a bunch of questions up here on the slides, uh, reflection questions. I want to encourage you to take a picture of these. We've got a, um, a few. We're going to go through a few slides. So get your cell phone camera, or if there's something that really strikes you, you can write it down. But use these to prompt you during that time of prayer. Where am I in my walk with God? Am I drawing closer to God, or am I moving away? Do I feel myself, uh, do I feel like I'm closer to God now than I was a year ago? Why or why not? What changed? Am I drawing closer to Jesus? Can I feel myself becoming more like him? What are the areas of life where I struggle to follow Jesus, the stuff that I kind of hold back from Jesus? Is there anything about Jesus, his life, his message, his ministry that still makes me uncomfortable? Where are the places of darkness in my life? What are the areas that I keep hidden? Maybe I hide them from myself or from others, from God. What anger am I holding on to? What secrets am I keeping that need to be spoken and told? What shame am I carrying, and how can I start to process that? Maybe let some of it go. Got one more of these slides. Uh, Is there unconfessed sin in my life? How am I living in ways that cause harm to others? Could be other people. uh, Could be harm to the earth. What areas of my life are still trapped in that state of chaos and violence? And importantly, where am I moving toward life? Where am I growing? Where am I learning? Where do I feel more alive? I don't show these questions to shame anybody or to make you feel like you don't belong. I'm sharing these questions to prompt a little bit of work. Work that I know I need to do in my heart and work that I think probably most of us could stand to do in our own hearts. I hope you wrote a few of those down or took some pictures. Maybe if someone got them and post them online, we'll share them on the church page or something like that. Um, But I hope you will use this season of Lent to reflect, to pray, and to hopefully draw closer to God as we learn to turn away from death and toward life. Let's pray. God, we confess all the ways that we fail to live up to your way. The people we've exploited, those we've hurt. We pray that you're going to open our eyes, Lord, in this season to see any changes we need to make in order to be more like Christ. God, we ask that you'd empower us through your Holy Spirit to repent, to turn, to learn to follow you more closely in this season of Lent and beyond. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.